from Look Up Here Productions. This is Open Your Hymnal, the show that explores the most beloved, enduring, and consequential songs we sing at Mass. Matt Reichert and Zach Stahowski. Hello, Open Your Hymnal listeners. This is Matt Reichert, and Zach and I are so glad to have you with us for this new episode. Today, we're bringing you a special recording of our Open Your Hymnal Live event from March 8, 2020. Zach and I were joined by our friend Dan Schutte at St. Boniface Catholic Church in Cold Spring, Minnesota, as part of their Lenten mission. It was a special evening of conversation, storytelling, reflection, and, of course, music making. On a personal note, this was a hometown crowd for me, and it was a real blessing to be able to share Open Your Hymnal with my community and family. It was also the last time any of us would travel, as just a few days later we would have widespread quarantines and travel restrictions due to the coronavirus pandemic. So journey back with us to pre-pandemic Lent 2020. If you're interested in bringing Open Your Hymnal to your community, especially as we begin to open up and start programming again, let us know. Visit our website at openyourhymnal.com and visit the Contact Us page. We'd love to bring the show to you. Please be seated. So this is the way that this evening is going to work, right? We are going to sing through a lot of music you know. Perhaps some of the songs in your worship aid are songs that are new to you. Um, But the format of tonight is um, we want to really be able to explore these songs so that the next time we sing them, we sing them differently. There are many songs here that we've been singing for a while. I'm hoping that the next time you pick up your hymnal or the next time you come to Mass and one of these songs is something that's prayed, that you'll you'll experience it differently because of the way that we'll break them open tonight. So this will be very conversational. Um, We're going to let Dan share a lot about his process, a lot about the meaning behind these pieces, how they were written, where they came from, and then, of course, most importantly, we'll sing them together. Okay. So we're going to begin with our first set of songs. And Zach, if you want to kick us off here with our first questions. You may not realize, but you're being recorded for an episode of our podcast. So don't sing any wrong notes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I'm just curious, as a liturgical musician myself, uh, thinking about what brought me Uh, to that line of work, I'd be curious if you would share with us um, your vocation story, how how you got involved in in this line of work. Sure, I'd love to, Zach. Um, I was thinking about that today. Luckily, they gave me these questions beforehand, so I could... (laughs) It all began with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's true. When I was three years old, my mom and dad somehow decided to buy me a little record player. And uh, there was a series of the little 45 records, you know, we used to play. And one of those was Judy Garland singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow from Wizard of Oz. And 
something in that piece of music, melody, the words, her voice, but it captured my soul. I recognized in that piece of music something that was beautiful. And, and so um, that's my first memory of the part of my soul that connected with music, connected with the beauty of something that somebody else wrote and performed. Um, next memory, I'm going to, this is going to be broad stroke, so please understand. You know, while I was in grade school, I, I played clarinet and a little, little later on saxophone in the grade school. And, but during those years, the nuns that taught us in Wisconsin, so I grew up a little bit outside of Milwaukee, uh, the nuns who taught us, taught us from about fourth grade on how to sing Gregorian chant. Some of you are old enough, like myself, to remember those days when we would sing chant for our services. And each of our classes would take, we would take turns singing the chant mass of, of the day. Well, I, that was sort of the second time that I found myself falling in love with those beautiful melodies. After I finished high school, I entered the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuit order, uh, Catholic order. And so it was a community of all men. And we would come to worship, and we ex I experienced the beauty of, oh boy, I would say 150, 175 all-male voices singing very traditional music. But some of my classmates and I had this idea, what, what if we would begin uh, to write some more contemporary style music? We, many of us played guitar in those days, and so started using guitar as sort of the basis for some of those new, new songs. Lo and behold, what happened as we became brave enough to share that with our community, we found that that people connected with those songs and they liked them and they gave us encouragement. We had a choir director who would help critique the songs for us. And then when I ended up, after those first four years, moving to St. Louis, so some of you recognize the name St. Louis Jesuits. So these are four other young companions of mine that we met in St. Louis in the early 1970s. And... Um, we, we, in those days, we didn't imagine ourselves as being a group by any means. We, were, we just played for mass. Oh, who, you know, would you come play with me for this mass? Or college churches having mass over here. And what happened was people kept on telling us, guys, the music that you are writing is something that's really important, that it's making a difference in the way we pray at mass. And I think, so I think those, those four little experiences of vignettes of, of my life sort of give you a little bit of an indication how, from my side, I feel like it was sort of the hand of God moving me along to this place where I, I discovered um, a gift that I could offer to the church and have tried to be faithful to that over the years. That's great. Our, our next song that we are going to sing, if you would uh, open to page three in your worship aid, is 
a song called Beyond the Moon and Stars. And um, Dan, before, before we begin, I mean, the, the next two songs, this one and the one we'll sing after it, were, were written pretty early on in your career. Um, so would you say something about the genesis of Beyond the Moon and Stars, where that came from? Sure. So th this particular piece has really had three incarnations over the years. I wrote it originally in 1970 when I was in this all-male community of young men studying for priesthood. And so the original title of the song was, You Are My Sons. It was about being the sons of God. A little bit later when I moved to St. Louis and people from all over the city began to come to our house of formation to worship, we included men, women, children, and so forth. And so a song that's called You Are My Sons didn't quite cut it anymore. <laughs> so what I did is use the, the, the first words of the song at that time to become the new title, which was Before the Sun Burned Bright. So some of you may remember that song. Then in the early part of this century, so the early 2000s, I was doing a collection of music for Advent, and, and um, I'd always loved this melody, but the song had sort of fallen out of use, and I thought, what if I write new words to that same melody? That's where the third incarnation, Beyond the Moon and Stars, came from. It's, a, it's an Advent piece that talks about that, that deep down part of each of our souls that is hungry, that is never completely satisfied in this world, even when we experience those moments, you know, where we feel like, God, God, you can't be any better to me. There's still part of our soul that, that hopes, wants for more, looks for more joy and peace and love. So this is about our soul's hunger. Beyond the moon and stars, as deep as so great our hunger, Lord, to see your light. The sparrow finds her home beneath your wings. So may we come to rest where angels sing. have longed to see your 
Thank you. So, I've always, oh, oh, go sorry, ahead, please, oh, no. No, I, I'm always cutting you. I have lots of time to cut you off. We have plenty of time left. You'd never realize that we do this for, you know, a thing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just, I was really struck with, um, as I was reading through the words of that one, just how much connective tissue there is between the seasons of Lent and the seasons of Advent. Mm -hmm. So often, I think we take the doom and gloom approach to Lent, and of course, it is a time of repentance, but I think it's also a time of great hope and uh, that message is so apparent in, in both seasons, and it's a time of conversion. And so just th thank you for those words. I think it's th this song especially is a great reminder of that. So welcome. You're so welcome. I remember singing that a lot as a kid, that one. Like all of, all of these songs, my mom was actually um, the leader of her uh, folk group. If you remember, I don't remember. I wasn't old enough, but... After the Second Vatican Council, there were a lot of, like, you know, the guitar mass. She was, she was the leader of one of those. And so I was telling Dan before this, I actually learned to play the guitar because uh, my mom had all of those songbooks, the, uh, the Earth and Vessels uh, songbooks, like, with all of these songs laying around. So um, they had the chord diagrams in there, and that's when I first started, like, a 10-year-old kid just picking up the guitar and learning how to play chords uh, was through these songs. So this is... Definitely a bucket list thing for me. To and play. the songs, songs get connected with those memories for exactly us. Exactly right. And the memories we treasure. Yeah, exactly right. And that, and that leads us into sort of the next topic, which is, um, which is really about scripture, right? And so for a lot of Catholics, especially after the Second Vatican Council, we started to learn scripture, at least at that point in the church, because of the songs that we sang. Right, as, as composers started to set um, either paraphrases of scripture or more faithful settings of scripture. Um, one of the groups that was really instrumental in doing this, sort of the cutting edge of doing this, was the St. Louis Jesuits. I mean, all of you, the five of you as composers, started to really set the, set the settings of scripture that have lasted, right? And so um, could you talk a little bit about um, knowing that people internalize scripture based upon the songs that you write. <laughs> How do you go about doing that? I mean, that's a big responsibility, it seems. It is a big responsibility um, because there's the whole question of being true to the scripture and not putting so much of our own personal faith or our personal slant on a piece of scripture that it doesn't remain um, something that can be sung and prayed by everyone. Um, we all probably have heard um, certain Christian music that is so, um, so focused on a person's personal experience that um, it's hard for the rest of us to pray it. It might be a nice song that we can listen to, but the, I should say that really the, the, the whole idea of using scripture for our music was really a, a very natural one for the five of us called the St. Louis Jesuits. So let me just say, you, these names may not mean anything to you, John Foley, Bob Duffer, Tim Mannion, Rock O'Connor, and myself. But if I start saying, be not afraid, the cry of the poor, one bread, one body, earthen vessels, those, those are the songs that came out of our little companionship. And 
really, for the five of us, when we began imagining what it would be like to write music for worship, Scripture was the most natural place to go. And the reason for that is that St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Society of Jesus, the, the infamous Jesuits that we had become members of, his spiritual exercise, his, his whole spiritual program of spiritual growth and maturity is built around Scripture and praying the Scripture and following Jesus of Nazareth through the scenes of his life and experiencing what that might be like to be a disciple of Jesus as if we were really there. So, so for the five of us, when we got this crazy notion of writing more contemporary music for worship, scripture was the most natural place for us to go. Then becomes your question, Matt, of how do you be authentic to that? And, and that's, that's sort of counting on, on God's um, inspiration and that God is going to, to be there enough to caution you if you, you know, we're going off the deep end. The, the wonderful part of our five companionship is that we, we in those days, whenever any of us would write a new piece of music, we would bring it to the others to show it to them first before it ever got put out for people to sing at mass. So the five of us, we had sort of this built-in critique and encouragement that was going on. And I could tell you, we haven't sung Here I Am, Lord, but if there's time, I'll tell you the story about Here I Am, Lord, that talks about exactly this. Um, this piece of music is Psalm 151, Create in Me, O God. And if, if you are at all connected with church music, um, and ha or happen to look in your hymnals, you will notice that there are many, many settings of Psalm 51. It's one of the pen penitential psalms. So as I sat down to write this, I was thinking to myself, so Dan, how can you, how can you make this um, a little bit different? Maybe re reveal a part of ourselves and also... Um, a part of who God is in our lives when you work with these words of Psalm 51. And people, you will experience, I, I suspect not many of you have ever even heard this before, but you will certainly notice in, at the end of the second line of music going into the third line of music, the words are, besiege me, with your grace. It's an image of a God who isn't there just to offer us grace, to be benevolent. The, the prayer of that particular word is, is saying to God, please, Lord, besiege me with grace. Create for me a new heart. Because this heart that I have right now isn't, isn't yet holy and perfect. It's not like the heart of Jesus. This is page five.
Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so interesting to me, Dan, that you were talking about how setting scripture was the natural place for you and the St. Louis Jesuits to start. Only because um, when, we, when we look at a lot of the music that was coming out around that time uh, for worship, once um, we were able to write in the vernacular, once we were able to start writing in these more contemporary genres, there was a lot of music that was perhaps not as scripturally based, right? There, you know, I don't mean, I don't disparage this music at all. I think it's, it, it was important to our development, but we had a lot of songs about rainbows and about bluebirds singing and, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, and so uh, the next song, Dan, I wonder if you would talk about that. And it's, I, I, I just have to say, this is one of my favorite set. This is another one of those that's set a lot. Um, and it's one of my favorite settings of this Philippians passage. This one gets, for me, it gets to sort of the very heart and soul of what, of what our, our faith and our relationship with Jesus, the risen one, is about. Um, it's also at the heart and soul of, of the exercises of St. Ignatius, if any of you have ever been on a retreat based on the Ignatian exercises. It's, the whole purpose is for a person during those days of retreat to spend time with Jesus as a way of getting to know him. Just like you and I in our, our outside life or our secular life. That's, I hate making that distinction because our outside life is also holy, but in the world outside of church, um, our, our faith is about getting to know each other. Our, our, our goal is, is to form relationships and learn how to support and encourage and, and uh, help those relationships to grow. And sometimes we do an okay job of it and sometimes we don't do a very good job of it. But this, so this is a, a passage from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians where he, in a way he's being, being pretty vulnerable with his own faith to say that the thing that's more important to me than anything is getting to know the Lord, spending time with the Lord God so that we may get to know them, him. And then adding this part and to bear his cross, so to wear the crown that he bore. Only this I want but to to gain the Lord. 
I think Dan's going to be our first three-time podcast guest. Ooh. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to have to get you a jacket. It'd be like a, yeah, like Saturday Night Live hosts. Like the Masters when they get uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be on Open Your Hymnal. So. <laughs> it's similar but less funny. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like this is that skit in uh, Saturday Night Live with um, Chris Farley when he does the talk show oh. host with like Paul McCartney and he's just like oh, such yeah. a fan he can't actually ask any questions. Yeah. That's how I feel about Dan, so as I stumble <laughs> over my words here. <laughs> well, as, as we move on here through uh, the rest of uh, these songs, I think, you know, one of the themes I see in your writing, of course, it's, you know, a tremendous output, Dan, of songs, but, um, you know, a lot of the songs that touch us so deeply are these songs that remind us of our closeness to God, uh, this God who will never abandon us. And you talked a little bit about that with um, Though the Mountains May Fall, but I suppose maybe, I wonder if you could offer, like, in this time of Lent, um, just how are you aware of God's closeness? Where do you see it? Uh, what can we do in our prayer life um, to be aware, to, to not miss it? So, Lent in many ways reminds us, doesn't it, of, of our mortality. We begin Lent, you know, with, with dust on our foreheads. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's, it's for many of us not, not an easy place to be where, where we are reminded of our mortality in, this, in the sense that the one thing that we all know about every one of us in this room is that we will die someday and we will return to dust. And in between now and then, you and I, at least at some moments of our lives, experience, experience times when it feels like 
our life is falling apart. Um, it's the darkness, you know, darkness is often the image used for that. It's, you know, we, we lose a job, we discover that someone we love has a terminal disease, we um, experience the, the aging, the, the slow by slow aging of our bodies. Um, we can't do things anymore that we used to do. Um, we experience tragedy in the blink of an eye. Um, today, this week, and the weeks ahead, we're experiencing this, this seemingly uncontrollable virus that is attacking the human family. And, and what do we do as people of faith with all of that? Because the question, I think, well, I know the question for me, and I suspect it's there for you too, is, so Dan, if I really buy into this image that Jesus of Nazareth offers to us of a God who loves us without condition, a God, a God who loves us literally to death, if I really buy into that, how could a God who loves me and loves us so much allow all this darkness in this world, darkness and pain and suffering? I don't think I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> but, but I will share with you a favorite image of mine favorite image of mine that I read someplace probably 30, 35 years ago, and I've never been able to find the source. So if any of you know the source of this. So it's a writer, a piece of, piece of fiction, who's writing about the crucifixion. And the writer has a line in there which says, and as Jesus, the beloved Son of God, hung on the cross, dying in shame, the magnificent creator of this magnificent universe wept. For me, what that is, it's the image of a God, like you guys were saying, it's the image of a God who stays with us thick and thin, even when we may feel like God is a zillion miles away, and how do we find him? Or we wonder, you know, has God forgotten me, forgotten us? Um, that's the promise, to stay with us always. And so, so those moments of darkness and pain and suffering, either in our lives or the people that we love, can somehow become holy. You know, if we believe God is all-powerful, why God could have stepped in at the moment before Jesus' death and stepped in and stopped it, but he didn't. 
God didn't because maybe there's some wisdom that is beyond our wisdom in all of that. Page seven. Holy darkness, blessed night, heaven's answer hidden from our sight. As we
You know, it's usually when I do these things, I'm, I'm all alone sitting up here trying to make it work. Some nights my aging voice works okay, and sometimes it doesn't. It's so wonderful to have the two of them <laughs> with me. Where, where are we going next? Yeah. <laughs> the pleasure's ours. We have, we have two songs left. Um, These Alone Are Enough, I know, um, is another vocation-based piece. It's another song of thanksgiving. It's another song of praise. It has a strong Jesuit connection. So before we pray this together, Dan, uh, what would you like to say? So th this, this prayer is adapted from a prayer by St. Ignatius of Loyola that comes, I, I spoke of his spiritual exercises earlier, it comes at the very end of his spiritual exercises. And it's part of what he calls the contemplation on love. And one of the instructions he gives when he's talking about love is he says, his love shows itself more perfectly in deeds than just in words. He doesn't say that it's not important to say to each other, I love you. It is. But when push comes to shove, the, the thing that really cements the sincerity of those words in our lives and, and to the people that we love, to our families and friends, is when, you know, we put ourselves in those places where it takes some sacrifice to be there, it takes some selflessness and means given a part of ourselves away. And that's what this song is about. It's about giving ourselves away. Um, everything that you and I have is a gift. Everything, our very, our very being is a gift. Sometimes, sometimes I, I think to myself, <clears throat> I got a rowing machine recently, you know, a rowing exercise machine, and it keeps track of my pulse. So I was on the rowing machine, kind of keep track of how, how high I could get it without passing out. <laughs> no, um, I was on the rowing machine, but, but I was looking at, at my watch, which was showing my pulse, and it occurred to me, oh my gosh, you know that, that electrical, current that causes my heart to beat and pump through my body happens how many millions probably of times in the course of our lives and we don't even think of it. And that's just one of the gifts that you and I share. So this is, this is the prayer that Ignatius of Loyola suggests our way of Gift, gifting what we've been giving back into the gracious hands of God.
Isn't it amazing how this, this music comes to life in a different way when you know the stories behind it, the inspirations uh, that created it, the person that created it? I know um, uh, my violin teacher growing up always used to say that uh, the goal of the artist should always be to learn as much about a piece as, so that you know as much about it that the composer did. And if you think about what that would mean, that's a never-ending pursuit. But it's so interesting because so often our encounter with this music is in a context that is created for us, right? The music director chose for this particular Sunday with these particular readings to sing it during the preparation of the gifts, right? And so to know the broader context that all this music comes from, I think is a great gift and it helps us uh, to pray these songs differently and maybe even more deeply. Um, before we sing our final selection in your worship aid, which by the way is on page eight, City of God, that will be, um, that's the last song in, in your worship aid. Um, a whole bunch of thanks. Um, thank you to Father Matthew and to Chad and to Julie and to Sam and to everybody who made this event possible. So if you please join us in showing our uh, gratitude to them. Um, before we sing the song, as you are able, would you please all stand? Okay, thank you. If you currently serve as a music minister, a cantor, a choir member, an accompanist, etc., in your parish, would you please sit down? These are all the people standing that we need to invite, right? <laughs> so if you see a person standing, especially near you, and you think, ah, oh, you can carry a tune, tell them when practice is, right, and get them there. Now, if you would all sit down, please. <laughs> If we could please thank all of those music ministers in our parishes who weekend after weekend and liturgy after liturgy do such a great job of helping animate all of our songs. So please a round of applause for everyone who's a music minister. You, you understand that from the composer's side of things, these songs, just, they just remain little symbols and dots and lines on a piece of paper unless 
all of you music ministers do that work that you do week in and week out, and especially when you do that un unselfishly, when you would rather stay in bed on a Sunday morning and read the paper and have your coffee and so forth. That's, the songs reach the people because of you. Thank you. And thanks to Dan. so much. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, you can say standing for this song because this is going to be one you're going to want to stand for. As I mentioned before, Dan was one of the first people when Zach and I had this idea for this podcast, and we had no idea what we were doing, um, who had no reason to say yes to meeting with us, to interview with us, and did. So thank you for that. Thank you for all of these beautiful pieces. Thank you for journeying from what I'm sure is balmy San Francisco to uh, balmy-ish central Minnesota <laughs> um, and for being here tonight. This is City of God. Um, this is sort of our challenge and sending forth song. Anything you want to say other than sing loud? Sing your hearts out. Yeah, we need to hear the descants. I, I've been hearing some people go for them, but this yeah, is the don't time. Be, don't be afraid. Time. Here's your chance. Here we go. From your slumber, arise from your sleep. A new day is dawning for all those who weep. The people in darkness have seen a great light. The Lord of our longing conquered the night. Let us build a city of God. May our tears be turned into dancing for the Lord, our light and our love has turned the night Thank you for spending this past hour with us and listening to Open Your Hymnal. We'd like to thank Dan Schutte for being with us, as well as Laura Rist and all of our friends at OCP for their assistance. Special thanks to Father Matthew Luft, OSB, Chad Bauer, and everyone in the four parishes of the Christ Catholic community for inviting us. Again, if you'd like to bring open your hymnal to your parish, let us know. We'd love to see you in person. Subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Send us a note to let us know what you'd like to hear next, and drop us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
comfort my people Make gentle your words Proclaim to my city The day of her birth Open your hymnal. I'm Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open Your Hymnal. All content of this episode is property of Look Up Here Productions or its content suppliers and is protected by United States and international copyright law. For more information about this show and its use, please visit OpenYourHymnal.com.